it will arise as once before, in ages past when magic soared. Passing o'er the world shore to shore, the wind, the fury again shall roar. Welcome to the Swan Song Podcast by Eamon Cottrell and Brian Stallings. The Swan Song Podcast is an episodic audiobook for the fantasy novel John Swansong and the Parada Isle. Episode 14 The waters began to bubble as though a great fire within the depths of the earth were heating the very ocean itself. A spout of water shot from within the cauldron. It was vaguely similar to the many Spera sightings, but this, unlike the Spera's powerful jet stream, was more of a water explosion than a geyser. Sheets of water sprayed outward in quick, ugly bursts seemingly at random through the large area of water that continued to rock and gurgle and swirl powerfully in front of the jasmine. There were shouts all around of awe and surprise and increasingly nervous panic hidden beneath the raw faces of the sea-hardened crew. Suppose he means to cook them sparrows rather than shoot them, mumbled Brack. What in the name of the West is he doing? whispered Perry. John looked back from where he stood with Phineas. He saw Rat staring at him with a rabid mixture of fear and intensity. Rat was easily intrigued by things of this nature. That is, things that were incredibly awesome and that also provided of opportunity for destruction. This was the whole reason behind his long obsession with smoke dust. John figured that if Rat ever acquired all the dust he'd been hoping for these past summers, Labrie would be in for a dangerous facelift. He'd been with Rat up on Bowden as Rat had told him the different blast sites he'd picked up. Best John could tell, most of Bowden would be down in the valley after Rat was through with it. At least then, John wouldn't have to build any more dams for Goth, he thought with a chuckle. John then made eye contact with Sarah. She was glaring at him the same way she had been when they'd first met on Labrie. John didn't understand her. One minute, she seemed content. The next, she looked like she was ready to snatch his head off. He knew she had struggled with seasickness on her voyage to Labrie and wondered if it was still bothering her some. He had given her some green paprel from his herb satchel that seemed to be helping, but something was clearly wrong still. The whole time that the waters were swirling and bubbling and sinking down into the ocean, Phineas continued his litany at the bow. It was not until he ceased his chanting that John noticed how his voice had become a part of the winds that had increased and a part of the sound of the torrent around and underneath the jasmine. Phineas turned to face them, but the whirlpool behind him continued to worsen. He must have sensed the growing unease, for the first words to them were, It won't be long now. The pylon should hold us well, especially this ship, being parada-born. It will get much worse before it calms, though. Keep your wits about you, and watch your footing as we weather my storm. Our guides will soon be here. They have not been summoned for many years, but the old magic runs deep in the Escondo. He continued, his voice curt and hollow-sounding still. They may take longer than once, in ages past, but they will be here. John didn't want to sound like he knew more than the others, but he knew what this was. Goth had told him of the ancient Parada legend. It was the calling of the grains. He looked around the crew. Minute's mouth was agape, staring back and forth between Phineas and the tumult in the waters. Even Tice and Abram, pillars of calm normally, seemed a bit unnerved. 
John smelled the sour odor of Tice's pipe that had been snuffed out as it hung dumbly from his mouth. Phineas caught John's eye just as John was about to open his mouth. He shook his head very slightly and then looked away. John shut his mouth, confused. Could he tell that John knew? Why would he want to keep him quiet? Rat leaned in and whispered, Cranes? John nodded quickly but said, Phineas just shook his head like we were supposed to keep quiet. I wonder why. Rat edged around John and made his way closer to the bow for a second look. The spray from the receding waters wafted through the air around everyone and combined with the ever-dark skies, it felt as though they were within a thick fog. Judging from most of your dull expressions, it's been too long since the true tales of the East have passed through the taverns of the West. Phineas's voice was back to its booming, deep, normal tone, and John wondered if he'd imagined it changing earlier. Parada Isle has remained in the shroud of the Tainted One these many years because no man... Not even the Paradas has ever traversed the sea of Sparas that surround it. Many ages ago, before any human Paradas, the grains of the deep forged an alliance with some of the first men to sail this far east. John noticed Abram stiffen and glare at Phineas. He elbowed Rat and motioned toward the captain. Rat nodded acknowledgement. You might say the grains were the original Paradas. Whatever their reasons, though, as man took over more and more of the lands and the seas, and the Tainted One grew in power in Exeter, the grains receded to their first homes in the pits of the Escondo. They agreed only to escort those Paradas who called on them from the Escondo to Parada Isle. Tice ducked his head down to relight his pipe and sparked a match between his fingers. When he exhaled a thick cloud of sweet-smelling smoke, any confusion or fear that John had noticed earlier had been wiped from his face. Phineas continued, The grains are a magical creature beyond my knowledge or any ones I've ever known. What little we do know is that they are powerful enough to affect the very tides of the ocean. You see, it is impossible for anyone to sail to their island without a guide. If they were active in the world of men, we would need only to call on their allied support to march against the Tainted One but they have been chased away, as much by our greed as by his evil, and the most we can hope for is an escort the rest of the way. Similar magic protects Parada Isle from approaching vessels, though given enough time, I would be able to find it. Time, however, is running out. Phineas turned back to the bow and began scanning the vast surface of the whirlpool, searching for their guides. Whoa, come check this out, John, shouted Rat who had climbed up on the side of the deck and was looking over the edge of the ship. The jasmine continued to rock and dip treacherously in the churning waters despite being harbored between the two pylons, and John's heart jumped in his throat when he saw Rat down on all fours. One big surge would send him toppling over. John made a nervous, quick motion to Rat as his eyes widened, trying to get Rat to jump down. Rat made a face and shrugged him off. No one had noticed him yet. They were all too busy looking towards Phineas at the bow, and Phineas himself had his back turned still. John didn't want to yell out and risk getting both of them in trouble, so he made his way towards Rat in a quick shuffle. Get down from there, he hissed when he was close enough. You're going to get yourself killed. Oh, come on, John. You can't see everything from down there. It's amazing. I'm pretty sure I can see land down in the middle of the whirlpool. 
This caught John's attention. Land? What in the West was happening? He hesitated for another moment, and he hoisted himself up onto the siding beside Rat. As Rat leaned over, John saw the shark-tooth necklace fall from his shirt and dangle over the side of the boat. He hoped Sarah wasn't watching. They had to strain their necks out, around, and over the edge in order to really see. And even then, the pilot on that side was right in the way. Inch by inch, they craned their necks upward to peek over it and down into the swirling waters ahead. In order to peer high enough over the pylon, however, John quickly realized he was going to have to let go with his hands, at least for a moment. Very slowly, he pried his fingers off the siding, tightening his shaky grip on the edge with one hand clamped on the heartwood siding. As he raised his head up, inch by inch, what came into view was astounding. Sure enough, there was land down there, and not far either. He could see two juts of hard stone earth, maybe 30 yards from the surface of the ocean, and between them was a black sliver that surely penetrated deep into the heart of the ocean. John shivered as he considered how far that canyon might reach. Goth had told him of the grains a few times, but he'd never said much. John could remember Goth's words exactly, for he always said the same things about them when John would ask for more. More? Who knows any more, John? The grains are mysterious folk who were here far before man and whose lives stretch for generations. They are ancient, and they know the old ways and the deep magic which shaped the world. What more there may be, no man may know. John shivered as he imagined Goth saying that, a stream of smoke billowing out from his mouth as he would pause afterward to reflect. He bet that the canyon they saw went all the way to the very center of the earth, and the grains now live there. Suddenly, Sarah interrupted his daydreams. Where did you get that, you little thief? Rat jerked his head around and let go of the side to cover up the necklace. The jasmine shook as the waters battered against her side, and Rat came down hard on one knee, crying out in pain. John let out a gasp as he groped for the sides. As he gripped the wood, his fingers dug in as hard as they could. He saw Rat flailing about, tipping over and trying to regain his own balance. It happened too fast for John to do anything. One second he was there, and the next rat had fallen. John tried reaching back for him, but he was too late. Rat screamed a terrible, shrill scream as his right hand slapped hard against the ship, trying desperately to grab hold. John watched in terror as his friend fell and hit the ocean's dark surface. Get down from there, boomed Phineas. Everyone had turned when they heard the scream, and it was another moment before John could get out the words. It's Rat! He fell! He managed as his feet planted on the deck again. Sarah was frozen, her eyes wide. Cries and orders to action came from everywhere all at once, it seemed as they rushed to the side. Abram shouted out to throw down the buoys, and John, despite his fear, rushed back to the side and leaned over trying to catch a glimpse of Rat. There was nothing. The slick black surface of the Escondo was disrupted only by the whitecaps breaking all over. But of Rat, there was no sign. John began making his way closer to the bow, following the very clear current to its inevitable end, the whirlpool. If they hadn't spotted him now, John feared the worst. Even the best swimmer among them would be lost in that powerful current that dragged everything towards its center.
Even the ship itself could be heard creaking and moaning between the pylons. The waters pulled it as well. John was deaf to the crew around him. He knew they had probably rescued a hundred others from falling overboard in their lives, but this was different. He knew his friend was lost, and he couldn't believe he'd let him climb up on the stupid side. And her, what had she done? John felt something soft grab his arm. It was Sarah. She looked different from before. The hardness had left her eyes, and John saw tears welling up in them. She was saying something, but he couldn't make it out. Everything was a jumbled blur. Sarah was shaking her head over and over at him. John felt a red anger soar inside of him. Sarah must have sensed it too. She took a step back and then another. He saw tears coming down her cheeks, and then she turned and ran. Phineas was at the bow again, chanting. Chanting! He'd already given up hope. John knew deep down that there was little hope left by the time Rat had hit the water, but he'd figured Phineas would have been able to do something. He was a parada, after all. John stormed up behind Phineas and tried to yell at him, but all that came out was a small gagging sound. He was starting to be able to hear again, and between the short sobs that he seemed unable to contain, John could hear some of the words that Phineas was saying. Raul Bunis el Vinad, Uterus no ki orbea. He didn't know what they meant, but the words scared John and added to the pain he felt all through his heart. It was like his guts were dropping down and would eventually burst out from within him. Phineas finally stopped chanting and turned to John. He didn't seem to have noticed him until just then, and John felt ridiculous and angry at himself. He wanted to yell at Phineas and curse him. This was his fault. He'd brought them here and called the whirlpool up from the deep. But all that John managed was to start crying. He could kick himself. Phineas put his arms on John's shoulder and looked into his eyes. No, John. It is most certainly not. John heard the words and was confused. Certainly not what? Everything was still a blur, and all the sounds were blending together. Between a few of his sobs, though, as his mind cleared a little more, he heard himself saying over and over, It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault.